Good morning, Retreat Church. As you grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 again, that we've been looking at for several weeks, and we'll continue this week and next week looking into what God has for us in this chapter. I want to talk to you this morning about this um, idea that change requires power, but power requires repentance. Change requires power, Power requires repentance. Before we dive into Acts chapter 2, I really want to think about this notion of what, it, what is required for change. What, what do we need? Because I think a lot of us, we, we accept the fact that the world has literally changed around us. And I'm one that's kind of excited about it because I believe that whenever the world gets in a place of, of, of panic and, and chaos and struggle, I believe that God thrust His, his church thrust his church forward. And so I'm excited about that. Am I excited that people have been sick? No. Am I excited about the fact that people lost loved ones? Absolutely not. That is devastating. But however, in that devastation, we have the hope of eternal life in Christ. We have the very necessity of the gospel. When the world gets like it has become and we are focused on illness and sickness and there is this general fear over all of the globe, we need a source of hope and the gospel is the source of that hope. But in order for us to receive and live in the change that God wants to bring about to our world through the gospel, there, there is the necessity of some things that we don't possess in and of ourselves. Humanity does not possess that which is required for real, lasting, substantive change. And so in order for us to have those things in our life, and in order for you to look into your own life and to make some changes in your own life, you're going to need something that is beyond yourself. And I want to talk to you guys very quickly this morning about some of those things. And arguably, some, many, of the fruits of the Spirit, in fact, at least four of the nine listed in Galatians chapter 5, are needed for real change. They are this, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's patient, or joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Now I would submit to you this morning that love is something that needs to be placed inside of us. At least love for other people. I think love for ourselves is natural. Love for ourselves is, is there until maybe some things are damaged within us and we begin to lack love for ourselves. And some of you may struggle with that this morning. But I believe also patience does not come naturally to we that are human. I think we are naturally impatient. I believe that faithfulness does not come naturally to us. I believe that we are naturally selfish and rebellious. I don't believe that self-control is natural to us. I think that we are basically out of control in so many ways in our life. But those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, those, those five of excuse me, I cannot count, those four, love, patience, faithfulness, and self-control, those four, I believe, are truly needed for substantial life change, substantial world change. 
But as you look at collective humanity, if you look at your own life, I think that if you and I had more love in us, practiced more patience, became more faithful, and grew in self-control, we would have the ability to change. I think that when you look at your life and I look at mine, we look at our world and we say, well, why don't things change for the good? Because we lack love. Because we lack patience. Because we lack faithfulness. Because we lack self-control. Now, where are we going to get those things? Well, the passage that I just read to you out of Galatians says that they are a fruit of the Spirit. They are not a fruit of humanity. They are a fruit of the Spirit. They come from the Holy Spirit. They are outside of who we are naturally. And there's this battle presented in the Scriptures about a a battle between our own flesh, our natural tendencies, and that which comes from the Holy Spirit. And in order to to experience true life change, in order for us as a church to promote world change, we need these fruits of the Spirit. We don't need things from ourselves. We can't collectively get together and decide to be more loving, more patient, more faithful, and more in control of ourselves because it seems like we've been trying to do that for centuries, but it simply does not work because humanity in its natural state is rebellious against these things. And so, change requires power, but power requires repentance. Let's look at our passage this morning in Acts chapter 2. The first thing we discover as we read this text, starting in verse 36, is that world-changing good news does exist. World-changing good news does exist. And here, Peter, as he continues to defend the fact that as the Holy Spirit came and arrived on the day of Pentecost in the first century, the Holy Spirit gave the power to proclaim the good news to these group of disciples of Jesus. And as they proclaimed the good news, many accused them of being drunk. Peter then stands up, gives his defense in favor of those who has been speaking, says that it is the fulfillment of prophecy, both from the prophet Joel and from King David. And now he sums it up by giving this world-changing piece of good news. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter says this at the end of his message. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. That's what he makes this announcement. He tells these people that are pushing against the gospel. He says, know this for certain. Beyond if you think these people are drunk. Beyond what you think about how the world has shifted. That God has made Jesus Christ both Lord and and Christ, the Anointed One, the One that's in control, the One that has all authority, the One that has all power, and the One that has been sent to meet our needs. Because here we are, a people that desire change, we desire justice, we desire truth, we desire all of these things, but they seem to be out of our collective reach, and therefore God has literally made Jesus both Lord and Christ. 
That's the world-changing good news. This is the result of all of the activity that God has been doing throughout Genesis, throughout the intertestament period when He seemed silent, all the way through the Gospel accounts and the life of Jesus. It all comes down to this statement made by Peter that radically changed the entire world. When I accept the fact that Jesus is Lord, I will understand that I am not. When you accept the fact that Jesus is Lord, you will realize that you are not. And once you realize that you are not the Lord and I am not the Lord, we can rest and say it's not for me to change this. It's not for me to change the world. And in fact, I can't even really change myself because I don't have the power or the resources to do it in and of myself Jesus is the Lord. He is the one that is in control. He is the one that has the authority and the power. And as I submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He will resource me with that which I lack so that I may become new, so that I may change. And that the, nat- the, the divinity of God, the holiness of God can start to be produced in my life and that God can bring me back to that state when I, where I am in fellowship with Him and all is right with Him. And He can infuse me with His power and His wisdom so that I can make brand new change in my life. When I accept the fact that Jesus is the Christ, I will stop looking to other things and other people. I will stop traveling down certain roads and certain paths trying to find fulfillment in my life. I will simply come to Jesus, the one that has been sent as the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that has come to save me from myself and from the disaster that I am prone to to bring into my own life. And when I decide to submit to this world-changing good news, I will then be infused with the power to change and to follow Christ and to be freed from those things that ruined me in the past. And I will be free from them and able to move forward. This is indeed world-changing good news. The second piece of this that we encounter in our text this morning is this world-changing response. This is the response that Jesus is looking for. This is the response that every praying Christian praying for their unsaved loved ones is asking for. Verse 37, they respond this way to Peter. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What a question. You see, the cutting of the heart is the initial work of the Holy Spirit coming in and convicting our heart of the brokenness and of the need for restoration and the need for healing. And when we realize that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, we will stop telling Him what to do. We will simply ask Him what we are to do. You know, social media and the news today is full of what people should do. People with very little medical knowledge are telling people with medical knowledge what they should do. Politicians are taking the words of medical um, professionals and twisting them towards their own political agenda. We are at a loss as people that live in this society to know exactly what is true, to know exactly what is going on. You have one 
medical professional saying we should do this, another medical professional telling us we should do this, one politician telling us we should do this, another politician telling us we should do the opposite, and we are left to kind of try to decide for ourselves. Because collectively as humans, we will always be divisive. We will always be self-seeking. We will always be self-promoting. We will always be seeking power. We will always be seeking control. And when we can come and ask Jesus, what would happen in your family if you simply led your family into a time, into a season of stop telling God what He should do and simply submit to His Lordship, submit to His being the Christ, and simply ask as a family, God, what is it that You would have us to do? What if an entire church community, what if the church globally started looking at this global pandemic and simply went to God and said, what shall we do? What a world-changing response when the people of God drop their own ideas of what we should do, when we drop our own agendas, when we stop self-promoting and we simply humble ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the collective body of Christ, those that are saved and sanctified by the blood of Christ simply begin to ask the question, what shall we do? I believe that that is a world-changing response. Thirdly, there is a world-changing instruction with a world-changing promise. Notice in verse 38 we read this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the, rem- for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So, here they were. Lord, what do we do? And the instruction was, repent. Repent. Change your mind. Change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about the world. Repent and turn to Jesus as Lord. Stop thinking that you're Lord. Stop thinking that you are the Messiah. And start asking the question, what shall we do? Because I'm not in charge. I don't have the power to change. I don't have the power to fix the world. But I can repent of thinking that I'm Lord. And I could begin to serve Jesus as Lord. It's interesting, when the ignorant listen to the ignorant, they're both left maybe amused, but unchanged. When those that are desperate to learn, those that are asking, what should I do? When they listen to the informed, both are changed. That's what is taking place in this text. Peter is the informed. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit and he has now figured it out. He's gone from being a person that that can't get it right to a person that absolutely nails it. To a person that is absolutely correct to a person that understands what God has been doing throughout all of history and where He has brought His people and how He has intended to bless the world. Peter understands that. He is no longer ignorant. And so when those ignorant people around him, and I don't use that word in a derogatory phrase, I'm meaning it those without information, those without knowledge, when they simply do not know, wonderful people, 
great people, intelligent people, but they simply lack the information needed. And so Peter has the information needed. And when he begins to give that to them, and they begin to accept that, both are changed and the world becomes new. And the people of God are moving forward. And so this instruction to repent came with a promise. And they would receive the Holy Spirit. You see, as they repented, the Holy Spirit then would fill them. And then what would happen? Well, then the fruits of the Spirit would begin to be evident in their life. As the Holy Spirit would come and live within them and indwell within them, and they would literally be filled with the Spirit of God, then all of a sudden, what would be produced in them? What would be produced in them are the fruits of the Spirit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. All of those things would start to be evident in the people of God. All those things would be then evident and present in the world through the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that this is world-changing. I believe that this is life-shaping for each and every one of us. But the key is repentance. You can study revivals throughout church history. They all started with repentance. They all started with a brokenness. You can talk to people who have had experienced great and tremendous life change. What started it? Most likely, I'm going to tell you time and time again, you're going to hear when they repented, when they changed their thinking about God. And so lastly, you have in this passage, world-changing results. Verse 40 says this in 41, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. That's Peter. Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The world was changed. Do you know what happened to these 3,000 souls? They remember at the beginning of the text, we know that they were from all over that part of the world. They were from every nation. And what happened? As they received the Gospel of Jesus Christ, they repented of their sins, they accepted this world-changing news that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and then they all went home and radically changed their communities. And the world was changed. And within 300 years, little more than 300 years, Christianity had become so powerful, such a great move that it radically changed the world, that Constantine, the leader of the Roman Empire, declared Christianity to be the, na- the national, speaking like an American, the, the official religion of the Roman Empire. Because that was the influence of the church. Can you imagine an America that was so impacted by the church of Jesus Christ that the politicians had to talk like Christians? Because that's the only way they were going to get voted into office. That they had to at least fake it. Even if they weren't. Even if they didn't believe in the Gospel at all. That the church would be so influential in the world. That that's what would take place in today's culture. Here's an example of how the world was changed. Later in the book of Acts, when the apostles are being told to not preach in this name any longer. This is what happens. Notice this. And when they had brought them, that's P- 
Peter and John. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Notice, they filled all of Jerusalem with their proclamations about Jesus, that He is Lord and that He is Christ and that He is raised from the dead. They had filled Jerusalem. Are you filling your community? Are you filling your home with the teachings of Jesus Christ? Look at this world-changing event that's taking place. And this is the motivation of Peter. Look at verse 29. He says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So as we finish this up today, if you are a person that's saying, I need things to change in my life. I can no longer walk down the path that I'm walking on. That if I continue on my current trajectory, my life will be ruined. If you're tired, if you think that where you are in your marriage, if you think that if you continue on this same path that you are currently on, that your destiny, your eventual destiny is the divorce court. If you think in any way about your life as going in the wrong direction, I pray that you today would repent and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this is the concluding challenge. If you want the power to change, you must repent from being the Lord of your own life. God bless you. We'll see you next time.